0: You knew that the empire state building was designed like maybe the first one two three floors and then they just kind of wing it from there would you ever walk inside that building because that's unfortunately how agile gets used a lot of times that's not what agile is or is supposed to be there are a lot of flavors of it and there's a lot of different ways you can practice it but they all kind of have a lot of similarity in that it still means getting all of the stakeholders together getting them to agree on what's being developed but being flexible in the way that you develop it.
1: Welcome to another episode of MedTech Mindset. I'm your host, Dan Henrich, and I'm director of marketing at Archimedic. My guest this episode is Wright Lee McConnell, vice president of operations at Precision Systems Incorporated. PSI is a software developer for systems that can't fail, serving medical, industrial and military clients. While there are a few areas of overlap between the services Archimedic and PSI provide, the Archimedic team and our clients have found them to be wonderful partners who really know their stuff. So Rightly and I sat down recently to talk about software development in the medtech space, especially how to prioritize both quality and speed to market, and how to use an agile development methodology in a heavily regulated industry. Let's jump in. Hey, Wrightly. Thanks very much for, uh, for coming on MedTech Mindset. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having me. It's great to, great to have you here and have PSI involved. So our listeners get to know you a little bit. Um, can you just quickly introduce yourself and, uh, and PSI? Sure. And, uh, and tell us about the different types of projects that you guys work on in MedTech.
0: Sure. So, uh, well, starting with the company, we're Precision Systems Incorporated. We've been in business since 1979, and we really focus on mission-critical, safety-critical systems that cannot fail. So we're writing code that goes inside devices that are in operating rooms, in vitro diagnostics. Uh, They could also be uh, life-sustaining type three types of devices, infusion pumps and the like. We'll do consultation, requirements, design, uh, software development, unit testing, final VNV, uh, and anywhere pretty much along the line. Also post-market, when something gets out, if uh, a customer needs some sort of changes, we can help them with controlling that and updating the code, getting it back out to the field. So uh, I'm the vice president of operations here. I have been for about four years now, and uh, I'm a recovering engineer. I started here as a software engineer. Um, it was my, just my second job out of school, and so I've been here about 14 years.
1: Great, great. And how about um, the different kind of areas you touch within the, uh, within the product development process? So, um, you, know, you mentioned the types of devices you work mm-hmm. on, but uh, what are kind of the main roles that you play as you interact, interact with clients?
0: A lot of the roles that we play at the very early stages of product conception could be helping with getting requirements for even the product in place, uh, and then also working through software requirements on down, you might say. Mm -hmm. So helping those customers with understanding how to roll product requirements into software requirements, how to make sure that they have all the right planning in place, how to make sure that the software is properly designed first, then implemented well, and it's really kind of full stack from there on down. And then, just of course, making sure that they're following all of the right regulatory uh, procedures and have all the right SOPs in place, so that when they get through and they submit to five ten K, for instance, to the FDA, that all the documentation is there.
1: We're going to delve into our, our theme here shortly, which is how to ensure speed to market. Uh, you know, operating in an agile environment mm-hmm. while maintaining high quality standards throughout mm-hmm. the throughout the software development process. But can you just talk broadly a little bit about sort of the main challenges that um, that Folks developing software for you know critical medical devices face throughout throughout, throughout the process.
0: Sure, there's there's kind of two main paths that the challenges come down. Uh, you have the, the human the soft challenges, and it usually deals with uh, education and making sure that folks understand when they go down this path that the regulatory, the design, the documentation, the everything that goes around the process that goes around the actual product development can be as much or more than the product development itself. So a lot of the challenges stem from that and understanding and planning far enough out to make sure that they have realistic timelines and are able to get the right resources, the right stakeholders involved early enough so that they, they have a product development that goes smoothly as part of the overall um, development that has to be done in the company. So that's one. And then, of course, there are always technical challenges. Software is sometimes nothing but technical challenges on, on its rougher days. So a lot of the the types of challenges come down the line with interfacing uh, known hardware to unknown hardware, interfacing uh, different devices uh, within a a product suite. Anytime you have two different components or devices talking to one another, there's opportunity for challenge. So usually code within a system can be kind of self-contained and controlled, and the development is, I don't want to say free of surprise, but it has uh, a, a certain level of predictability to it. As soon as you start interfacing different systems together and some are off the shelf and some are custom and some you're developing as part of the product, that's where technical challenge usually comes in.
1: Talking about this maintaining high levels of quality through the, through the development process, what are the, what are the applicable standards that, that come to play in your in your day-to-day? So for
0: medical devices, everything is really dictated and flows down from the FDA, and that's uh, CFR uh, for uh, Part 820, 21 CFR 820. And that really talks about overall medical device development and quality management. Um, From that, uh, we have gotten our quality management system, because we focus on software, is really based around a standard called IEC 62304, which is a software development lifecycle standard that is for medical devices. And so 820 kind of flows down and points to 62304 as an appropriate set of standards to use for development of software. So uh, our quality management system here at PSI is built around that, and that quality management system is also appropriate, and we have been able to be certified to ISO 13485. So that's the uh, medical device manufacturing standard. We're manufacturing code. So our, our part of the system is, uh, is just the software. So we, we are able to be certified to 13485 because we follow good manufacturing practice, which is 62304. So it's kind of a little bit of a, there's a bit of a web of standards, but it really all flows down from 21 CFRA 20, and uh, that kind of points to all the different standards that are appropriate for different aspects of product development.
1: Sure, Uh, there's one other that you you didn't mention that I just want to highlight, because I think think it'll come up, which is ISO 14971 having to do with risk management. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays into your process? Yeah,
0: thank you. So uh, 14971, as you mentioned, talks about risk management, and it's a risk-based approach to doing software development. So 62304 and 14971 really play together. So it's all about identifying and mitigating risk in early in the product development process so that you can flow that down into your software development process and make sure that you're focusing on designing, developing, and testing the right parts of the system. Mm-hmm. And really making sure that you're, you're maintaining that very high level of quality without testing everything needlessly to the same level that you might need to test the very most critical parts of the system that also helps you mitigate technical risk as well. When you're doing that uh, failure modes and effects criticality analysis, the FMECA, uh, which is prescribed by 14971, you're going to identify technical risks in addition to patient risks. They're just going to come out as part of the process. Sure. You set those aside, uh, it really you focus on you know, for 14971 on the patient risk, but those technical risks also need to be examined. So in mitigating those risks early on, as part of a phase zero and doing that initial investigation into what the technical risks are really can pay dividends down the line and it really helps maintain schedule and keep uh, your development on track with fewer surprises down the road.
1: So let's kind of turn to the, turn to the, uh, the, the meat of our discussion which mm-hmm. is how to ensure speed to market, maintain an agile um, process uh, and maintain high quality standards throughout, uh, throughout the, the software development process. So the term Agile uh, comes up a lot. I think people throw it around very casually, and I think it's leaked out of software into other disciplines. For sure. Um, and There's Agile everything now. There's Agile everything. Yeah. Um, what do you mean when you say an Agile methodology, and why is it so critical to integrate it into the development of a, a med device software system?
0: I think Agile has gotten somewhat of a bad name over the years in the software development community. It's not just an ad hoc methodology that allows us to developers to quote-unquote you know, fly by the seat of their pants and figure out today what they're going to develop today. Um, if you knew that the Empire State Building was designed like maybe the first one, two, three floors, and then they just kind of wing it from there, would you ever walk inside that building? Because that's unfortunately how Agile gets used a lot of times. That's not what Agile is or is supposed to be. There are a lot of flavors of it, and there's a lot of different ways you can practice it, but they all kind of have a lot of similarity in that It still means getting all of the stakeholders together, getting them to agree on what's being developed, but being flexible in the way that you develop it. And I think that's what we've really tried to to implement here. So the whole point of applying this Agile methodology throughout and while maintaining the quality around the requirements is to eliminate surprises. You're trying to mitigate those risks as many as you can figure out up front, and you're trying to make sure that each sprint you, you deliver is a has increasing levels of functionality and that there are really no surprises from the previous one.
1: Every company who's doing this uh, type of work is going to follow somewhat of a phased approach, um, whether it's Archimatic or PSI or or, um, other players in the industry. But can you just walk us through your software development process by phase and talk about the different types of activities that take place there and how you operate to maintain Mm -hmm. quality and move quickly? Sure. We look
0: at it as six phases. So our phase zero is investigation, Uh, phase one is planning. Phase two is requirements or uh, realization. Phase three is V&V. Four, regulatory and product launch. And then five is post-market surveillance. So those are the the six main phases that we go through. Uh, Phase zero and uh, the way that we really apply, we look back at that FMECA right away and we start looking at what sort of things do we need to focus on and what sort of risks do we need to mitigate uh, from a technical aspect and also from a patient risk aspect. And phase zero, really uh, the the main goals for for us in the software development uh, uh, aspects are to come out of phase zero with a good software requirement spec a good architecture and usually that's uh, expressed in an architectural design chart and good product requirements so those are the main three things from the software aspect that we try to get out of, of phase zero so there's those are what really sets you up for success later on down the road requirements are the the source of everything it's either the source of your problems or the source of your success. Having good product requirements means you can flow down to good hardware requirements, good software requirements, and that means that all the different parts of the system are being developed in harmony. So uh, that's really the goal of phase zero, is to walk out of it with, those, uh, with all the stakeholders pretty much understanding what the, the system needs to do in order to fulfill its goal and help the patient. Um, so phase one is planning. Planning, planning, planning. So it's all about uh, making sure that you can turn those requirements from a software perspective into designs. You can lay out sprint schedules. This is where the Agile uh, uh, approach starts to come in and where you can really plan out how, now that you know what the product is really going to be, you can lay out how long it's gonna take to get there and how you're gonna develop it. So planning, the, the, the main thing to understand about planning is if you don't have a plan, you can't change it. Uh, so having a plan and work breakdown structure that's based on the requirements, That is uh, flows down into sprints. And usually we set them up on about a monthly basis. You know, that's Different mm-hmm. companies find different things more useful. Could be six weeks, could be two months. It depends on sort of what the development cycle of the rest of the product is. Um, but we find that setting up the sprints on a monthly basis right there in that planning phase is what really allows us to be agile and keep things moving throughout development. There are always gonna be roadblocks. There's always gonna be something that's gonna require you to to wait on developing a certain aspect of the system. That's why having the sprint plan is so great because you can move something from sprint three back to sprint one and vice versa and keep the whole project moving even if one particular part of it is uh, not really allowing you to progress. That's a lot of the difference between like the traditional kind of V model, waterfall model of software development and applying some agile methodologies within an overall SDLC or software development lifecycle methodology. So phase one, really, uh, the the biggest thing there is to make sure that you have a plan, break down the work, lay out a sprint schedule, and know that it's going to change. So during that phase, it's also a really good idea to understand how changes are going to be managed, how problems are going to be reported, Um, all the SOPs and all the standards that really are around product development, that's the point where you make sure that those are in place and all the stakeholders that understand and agree those. Um, Because that sometimes may seem um, a little bit uh, just kind of doing boring paperwork, but you wouldn't believe how many times sitting down getting all the stakeholders, software guys, hardware guys, uh, management, marketing, they all think a little bit differently, as you might imagine. And so having everybody sit around and agree to a plan about who's responsible for what, at what points, how changes get managed, when there's a design freeze, laying that out all up front really helps get everybody on the same team. Mm -hmm. And good planning and a good start like that in that phase one is, is critical for letting all the different teams go and do their work and then come back together and make sure that everything plays together well.
1: right okay so phase zero maybe you would say the big deliverables of, of that are the, the, the hardcore requirements mm-hmm. right um, maybe I should say maybe I should say detailed requirements both from software
0: yeah. Product requirements, software requirements. That's where hardware requirements, electronics. Those those parts should all be really worked out as part of that first investigative mm-hmm.
1: phase. And your phase one deliverables will be a, a laid out schedule of of sprints that right. everyone agrees to mm-hmm. to adhere to, and there is a plan for change management in place. Absolutely, correct? you okay.
0: you uh, you must plan to change, and that's also when uh, the mechanical guys, the electronics, everybody kind of make sure that their schedules mesh together. It doesn't mean that everybody gets off uh, gets started and runs uh, runs off and begins doing work immediately as soon as that phase is closed out. It just means that everybody's plan is laid out about when things have to be done so that nobody ends up being left behind on the critical path and then playing catch up.
1: Right. right. Okay. So let's move into phase 2 where I think is where the rubber really starts to meet the road with first with uh, software and all the quality mm-hmm. um, standards that come to play, right?
0: Right, so this is where, as you said, the rubber meets the road with software development. Uh, Phase two uh, design realization is, um, in software coding uh, and PowerLands, this is implementation for us. So this is where we start executing on those sprints. So we set up, we open every sprint with, at the beginning of the the four weeks, let's say, uh, we have goals set out for what we're going to achieve during that time, make sure that the sprint uh, deliverables that we've set up are possible because that's a great time to stop and evaluate and figure out, okay, if if we're waiting on a piece of electronics to get there before we can write a little bit of code, or if we're waiting on the marketing uh, group to to give some sort of answer about a certain thing before we can progress, that's where we're trying to make sure for that sprint, for that group of work, we've got the things that we need in order to actually execute. So for that, let's say, four weeks, uh, we're writing code. In fact, so if you're more so in the software world, you may have heard something called test-driven development. This is also, there are some aspects of that in there where essentially... You're writing automated code along with the software so that you know as you write functions or groups of functions that they do the operation that they're supposed to. And then when you write additional functions that interface with them, you're not breaking them. So it's really, really important that, in that uh, during that sprint while you're writing the code, write the automated unit tests along with it. It really helps to ensure quality. It helps getting your uh, speed to market. And it also allows you to make other changes and other sprints elsewhere without fear of breaking the code you already wrote. So it really sets you up for success in being able to apply the, those agile tenets, uh, but not have to worry too much about what you've already done uh, previously. Mm-hmm. So throughout the sprint we're developing, and then towards the end of the sprint there'll be a cutoff. Uh, so it could be somewhere usually in like week three or four week, or it could be a little bit later. That's where we'll do any sort of integration, like a little bit higher level testing, to make sure that everything that we've developed over the sprint functions properly. The idea and what we found that our clients love is that they want a sprint deliverable at the end of, uh, of a month that is functional to a point and everything in there works because they wanna be able to show progress. And, and this is great for internal teams uh, and external teams like us alike. Being able for software, which is kind of a mushy, sort of amorphous thing that a lot of people think is a, bit of, a little bit of black magic, um, being able to show deliverables on a regular basis and be able to report about what is done and what's functioning, and be able to say yes, this works, gives everybody else in the rest of the team a nice warm fuzzy when they can see that that progress from month to month. So we really aim that at the end of a sprint, you're getting something that is well tested and works to the prescribed level, and then really that's where we start. We iterate through the phases, just same sort of process: opening the sprint, doing the work, closing the sprint, and on and on and on. And throughout that, at the beginning of each sprint, like I said, we're making sure that everything that we have is available to us so that we can execute the sprint. And it allows us to be agile, move things from sprint to sprint, and try and keep the overall workload as flat as you can. Because you establish a team, you want to keep that team working on the project. You don't necessarily you don't want to scale up and scale down. Though being a bit more agile allows you to do that most optimally, most
1: efficiently, and to keep the fastest way to market is to keep a nice level workflow. A quick break here to remind our listeners that MedTech Mindset is a production of Archimedic, a full-service medical device developer helping innovators who are struggling with technical, commercial, regulatory, or manufacturing challenges accelerate their next new products along the path to market. Our clients span established device manufacturers, top-tier academic hospitals, and venture-backed startups. Learn more at archimedic.com. Great. So let's, um, let's jump into phase three, which is, I think, where a lot of the um, requirements and, do- and documentation really Absolutely. come into play of how to, how to ensure the speed to market while maintaining quality.
0: Right. So we talked a little bit about in the previous phase, we're doing automated unit testing, which is one kind of uh, verification, but the vast majority of V&V verification validation goes on in phase three. So that's where, uh, at, the, at the highest level, you're taking the requirements that you developed early on, along with the FMECA, and getting the... Et- Sorry, one
1: second before we go sure. on. Just tell us briefly, you, know, you mentioned the FMECA at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, but just real quickly run through what that is and, and how it comes into play.
0: Sure. So what that essentially is, is a you can think of it as almost as a table or a spreadsheet, and it often is organized as such. And it's a listing of every risk and harm that can happen to the patient. Uh, There are entire standards and podcasts that could probably be done about how to do an effective FMECA, but really what you're concerned about is getting all of the patient risks listed out, then understanding what's the likelihood of that risk happening. So is it a one in 10 chance, a one in a million chance? How how likely is it to happen once something gets into the field is being used by the patient? And not to mention the other stakeholders as well, especially like in Perhaps in in vitro diagnostics, there could be handling of blood where you have to be concerned mm-hmm. not only about could you get a wrong result from the patient, but there are operators who have to handle blood. So you need to be thinking about the other stakeholders that are sure. uh, involved in the process as well. So what's the likelihood of this harm happening to them? And then also what's the severity? Uh, and understanding if something happens and it's a minor inconvenience, that's something that you can, you can test to a certain degree, and you have to understand you may not want to spend a man year of development in testing something that might cause five minutes of inconvenience to somebody every 100 oper- uh, operating hours of the system.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but things that could happen perhaps very rarely but are very serious, you need to spend some time mitigating. So the whole idea is that once you understand the criticality and, and the effects and uh, the um, likelihood of something happening, is how do you move those risks and mitigate those risks? What actions do you take throughout the rest of the development process, and especially in phase three when you're doing uh, verification validation, to understand uh, that those risks have indeed been mitigated and you're basically, you're not going to hurt somebody when this thing gets into the market. Right. So right. that's the, the main goal of an FMECA.
1: Great, okay. Yeah. So back to back that's to fun. what you're saying about bringing the requirements in the FMECA into, into play here. At phase three, uh, At phase at three. Yeah, let's jump back into that. Sure.
0: So uh, really, at at the highest level, the the FDA generally prescribes three levels of testing for software. There's unit testing, there's integration testing, and then there's system-level testing. Integration testing, we kind of talked about, I'm sorry, uh, unit testing we talked about, and that's kind of the lowest level. We prescribe automated uh, unit testing that is executed, it's built alongside the code. That happens kind of in phase two then some integration testing, where this is where you're you're basically integrating components of the system, it could be software to hardware, it could be multiple software components together, you're checking that they interoperate correctly. Uh, So you're making sure that during that phase, the software all plays together nicely with the other components of the system and itself. That can be done in an automated fashion, perhaps. It can also be done in a manual fashion. It can be done at kind of the sprint level, but usually it kind of happens more so long uh, in phase three at the uh, V&V phase. So, And then, of course, there's system-level tests. And that's the one, system-level verification is the one that I think the vast majority of what people understand verification to be, uh, that's where that happens. So that's where you're you're looping back, looking at the software requirements that you developed early on in the system. And you may have modified and updated a bit through the, the design realization, but making sure that the system hits all of those requirements and that by nature of hitting those requirements, it's fulfilling the product requirements and fulfilling the intended use to the customer, to the the patient. So that's where the vast majority of VNV activities come into play. That's uh, executing, writing and executing those step-by-step tests. Um, You can write a lot of your system level verification very early in the process in the planning stage, and it's highly recommended to do that. But quite often, you'll have to update those as you go through design realization and you get to that final place where you're going to start doing dry runs of your system level verification and then doing the official run of your, your system level verification on the software. So the FMECA really comes into play there because you need to make sure that you're not only testing that uh, mitigation that you came up with mm-hmm. via the steps, but you're also making sure that you're focusing in the right areas of the system. You may write many test plans that are, uh, let's say, for instance, um, we're talking about an in vitro diagnostic device. Uh, Just uh, theoretically, you're looking for some type of cell in a blood sample, for instance. That's the whole purpose of the device, just as a a theoretical, for instance. Um, Your FMECA, and therefore your testing, is going to dictate that you spend a lot of time verifying and later on validating that the software indeed is able to find with high levels of specificity and sensitivity, the particular type of, of blood cell that you're looking for. That's, that's very important, and a lot of your tests should be written around that, of course, mm-hmm. what do you think? Sure. Um, but on the same hand, it, you need to verify that you can quickly and easily flow through all of the screens in the workflow without having any problems with uh, clicking and navigating from screen to screen. So it could cause a little bit of confusion, or it could cause a little bit of, if there were some sort of problem where you couldn't navigate from screen to screen, that could be a real inconvenience, especially if it's one of those things that it might happen one time out of 100. It's an annoyance, but worst case scenario, you run the test again. Right, right? You still It's not the
1: same test. as having a false negative for a yeah. you know, yeah. HIV blood test or something like Yeah, I think. a false right. positive or worse, a false
0: negative, right? Right. Yeah. So that's where you need to focus in that VNV stage where you're writing those verification and then later on for the, the overall product validation where you're really focusing on the items that are really high criticality and likelihood to occur from the FMECA. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another good point, uh, another good place to point out too that the quality of your software requirements really dictate how much trouble you're going to have when you get to this stage. Um, we believe in, I kind of think of it as there's there's four C's for a good software requirement it needs to be complete, correct, concise, and it, you need to be able to confirm it. So complete as in the each requirement in your, your software requirements needs to express a complete thought. It might mean that there is a button on the screen that does this. There is uh, the ability to handle uh, the intake of a patient sample. There are workflows that hit uh, the patient data input and the screen outputs. That Those all might be different requirements. But each requirement should be a complete statement or thought, just like we learned back in... Uh, grammar school that each sentence should be a complete thought, so should each requirement. Um, It needs to be correct. That seems obvious, but it needs to be reviewed that it's correct and it doesn't conflict with other requirements that are in the document. You wouldn't believe how many software requirements, documents that we've we've looked at or that we've seen where you can kind of pick out two or three in the same section that all conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really helpful to get people that are not even necessarily deep into the software development process to give those a look through and make sure that it makes sense to them. Good software requirements should make sense to, to pretty much anybody that reads them. So uh, they should be concise. Uh, one of the biggest places that we see software requirements problems are in big, long narrative requirements, when it really should be broken up into maybe ten or twelve different requirements instead of a paragraph. Mm-hmm. Testing a paragraph in phase three with software with concise, followable steps that can be repeated, trying to test that you that the requirement has been met when it's 15, 16 sentences long is really, really difficult. And it leaves a lot of openness to to interpretation. So it's really important that your requirements be concise. And uh, finally, they need to be confirmable. So having good requirements that are testable, that don't say things like, the system must run indefinitely. You can't test a system indefinitely, Mm -hmm. so how would you ever know if you met that requirement? Mm -hmm. Um, It shall be easy to use. How is it easy to use? Uh, it, that needs to flow down into very specific requirements because you can't test, is the system easy to use? Um, it's great to have those goals of being easy to use and being 100% uptime, but you need to have a confined, confirmable requirement that you can test. If you follow those kind of four Cs at the beginning and, you know, the phase zero, it makes phase three way, way, way easier. So that's uh, big tips for people. For, for, um, Verification, validation of software.
1: Great. Okay. So phase four, where we get into you know the, the, the regulatory submission. Um, this, I think, is you know maybe not a, a particularly time-consuming part of the of the process, mm-hmm. but it's where you find out if you, if you have done right. phases zero through three correctly, right? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how the standards come come into play, and obviously, if this phase doesn't go well, then your time to market is going to be set back considerably. Considerable.
0: Right? Yeah. So this is where all the other the previous phases really uh, pay off, where you find out what you didn't do right, as you said. So most of the software team's role, uh, as we've found when it comes to this, is helping to put together this mission for the five ten k. So that means going back through, making sure that your traceability from requirements through design, through implementation, through test is all complete, making sure that you have all the prescribed documentation. Um, the, the FDA is great in that the regulations are out there. You can find what needs to be uh, submitted for a 510k just by going to the FDA website. And they list off all the documents and everything from a software perspective that you need to have. Mm-hmm. They Even list off the types of testing that, that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff is all there. And when you're trying to put together the 510k, uh, that's when you find out whether or not the software team did their, did their part. Um, so, that's where you can either find that we're going to have a nice 90-day window where, where the FDA is uh, reviewing our submission, or we're going to be sent back to the drawing board several times to hopefully not recreate, but find in in our documentation package, in the code, where we tested this, where we explained that, and how, how we did everything.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about you know a, a theoretical, you, know, you get sent back to the drawing board, mm-hmm. um, which from time to time may happen, you know, sure. even, even with the best laid plans. Where, where does the agile methodology come into play and how do you go about kind of relaying out, um, you know, getting a tourniquet on this uh, time suck mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, to ensure that you're, you're addressing those things as quickly as possible and that it's going to go through the second time?
0: Sure. So there's nothing saying that you can't apply these agile methodologies to uh, the requirements and the documentation and, and the design phases as well. So it's really, it's like setting up a new sprint. Uh, When something gets identified and you can't just go back and point to in the document where that item is discussed, if you need to do additional mitigation, you need to do additional documentation, you need to have some additional processes set up or some SOPs put into place, um, that's like another sprint in the Agile uh, uh, methodology. So you do it very much the same way, as, as I mentioned before. It's all about taking the sprint inputs, figuring out do we have everything that we need Who are the stakeholders that we need to pull in? How do we get consensus around the work that needs to be executed? You plan that sprint's work, and that could be documentation work, it could be design work, it could be development, it could be retesting or testing further something, making sure that a risk has been mitigated, and then you execute on the sprint. So you're really following that same sort of opening, working, closing the sprint methodology that you would during the whole development phase. So it's all about planning your work, executing the work, and making sure that the work that you did is well tested and integrates well into the rest of the system. And that could be software, it could be documentation, it could be anything.
1: Great. So phase five then is sort of the post-market phase, right? Mm-hmm. Um, during which time you're required to conduct post-market surveillance for mm-hmm. your device, right? Um, monitor what type of adverse events might be might be occurring, mm-hmm. analyze their severity. Um, talk to us a little bit about the the software you know, maintenance and monitoring and retirement phase. So. The planning for
0: how this is handled is actually handled is back in phase one. So how you're going to handle change control, how you're going to handle configuration management of the software, uh, how you're going to handle when something comes in from the field, evaluating and going back through, uh, maybe perhaps adding to the FMECA based on information you get from the field, and then kind of flowing that back through the process. So again, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but you're really going to again kind of apply that methodology, that agile methodology again, of evaluating what the information that comes in from the software perspective. Do we have to then flowing back through the requirements, does it mean we need to change a requirement? Do we need to test a requirement differently? How does this affect the requirements? How does this affect the design? Where, if anywhere, do we need to make a change in the code? How does all of this get tested? And then how do we re-release this back out into the field? So it, it kind of starts back at that FMECA and it it flows back through the whole process, but you set it up like a sprint. So what are your inputs for the sprint? What's the work you need to do? And what's the output? How do you close the sprint out? Mm -hmm. So it's it's all about change control and having those SOPs and having those standards in place before you ever get to that point. You don't wanna be scrambling to figure out how we're gonna handle this customer complaint uh, and this adverse effect reported from the field because you don't have an SOP in place. Uh, Worst case scenario, Somebody hears something like that, or a complaint comes in, and it just gets dropped, or it's not handled, or the software is never looked at because there's no SOP, there's no, there's nothing in place for how to handle something like that.
1: Let me ask you a question that I'm sure a lot of your clients face, uh, a lot of a lot of our early stage uh, company clients encounter at, at Archimatic, and that's basically uh, their their first struggle uh, or the, or an early struggle is assembling enough funding to hire to hire a vendor like PSI, like Archimedic, mm-hmm. to help them develop their product. And they want to make sure that they are in the best position they can be during all that time when they're raising funds to be ready to start. Mm-hmm. What, should, uh, what should a team be doing to get ready to, to launch into this process uh, with, a, with a software vendor?
0: Um, so in preparation for being able to, to bring a software vendor on board, or even if they're choosing to hire software uh, folks and bring them in-house and have them as, as FTEs, um, be prepared by having at least identified uh, somebody that's in the regulatory realm that understands the regulation that's around their device. And maybe they haven't actually engaged them yet, but have them on tap and know that you've got somebody that understands what regulation and how it is going to apply, and that of course will flow down into to software. We understand software very very well inside and out but we don't always understand the uh, overall medicine behind it and how the risks of software can actually uh, flow upward to patient risks and how the fda is going to look at those so that person's really really important whether they're in-house or somebody else that you know you need to identify them having a good understanding of the addressable market and the product requirements what the product needs to do is often uh, oftentimes overlooked and they could be long-form narrative sort of requirements but have something that at least your internal stakeholders all understand and agree because I I can't tell you how many um, different times we've been into what was supposed to be a software kickoff meeting and some of the very basics about system operation and what the device must do are still being kind of hashed out around the table so having all the stakeholders internally agreeing about what market they're addressing how the products going to be developed uh, what the product's going to do, very very important. And then also uh, before before coming and finding uh, looking for software vendors, review those standards that we talked about. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know 62304 inside now, but it's written in fairly plain English, uh, and you don't have to read and understand every aspect of it. But the standards are all out there, freely available from uh, you know from the FDA. Um, evaluation copies can often be obtained of like 62304 and some of the paid standards uh, just for educational purposes. But reviewing the, the uh, 21 CFR eight twenty, 20 reviewing 62304, or at least understanding the overall software development lifecycle, and reviewing I, uh, ISO 14971 and what goes into risk management, are a huge leg up in the understanding what's what's about to come. You know what's going to be in this process and understanding the overall uh, effort that's going to have to be applied around not just the product development itself, but everything that goes around it. So having somebody come to us with a little bit of background knowledge, even if it's their first go around, uh, is a huge help mm-hmm. uh, for them and for us.
1: Right. So one thing that we haven't talked about, but I'm sure is on a lot of listeners' minds, um, talking about you know ensuring quality through the mm-hmm. software development process. Is cybersecurity right? More and more devices are uh, are internet connected, um, and there's uh, you know risks of, of malicious or uh, unintentional um, interference with with software that may be critical to a, to patients' health or data security. Talk a little bit about kind of how does that tie into your, your quality processes through the the uh, software development process?
0: Sure. So no matter when you're listening to this, there's always going to be a recent data breach that probably that. Did- keeps this fresh in people's minds and we get this this question all the time and um, it's it could be a podcast or an episode all into itself I think it
1: will be yeah. but and, <laughs> uh,
0: but from a software perspective and there are a lot of facets to data security cybersecurity. it's not just software there there are hardware aspects there are a lot of different there's a lot of network and infrastructure aspects that go along with it but um, where it really comes into a lot of the software development that we do is it's really following it's good best practices really will, are are your best protection. There's, you can go way into the weeds and there's a lot of things that can be done and security that can be added on top of a system or built around a system or in the network infrastructure where the system is connected. Um, But a lot of it is just best practices. And unfortunately, a lot of the things that we hear about of, you know, problems, cybersecurity problems with devices in the field is where best practices just weren't followed. So those are things like, again, I hate to harp on requirements, but understanding back even at the requirements phase, who needs what access to what data when? And how is it tracked if any of that access is made uh, or or if data is changed? And how is that data protected? So is it encrypted when it's sitting on uh, the chip inside a device or on a server in a hard drive in a PC? Is it encrypted when it's being transmitted across a network, even a local network? Is it encrypted then? Um, Is the, the appropriate level of access and password protection and uh, changing passwords and everything, is that all built into the software from the beginning? So really, those are all best practices that, that should be followed throughout the requirements, the design, and then, of course, an implementation. And then, of course, when you get into VMV, test them. Make sure that you're, you're doing a bit of penetration testing. Make sure that you're, you're doing a bit of that kind of button pushing and uh, trying to find those uh, unintended consequential effects which may allow somebody access into a system. It's really hard to test everything, of course, but really following good practices and shrinking your attack vector is your, best, uh, is your best insurance. You can never be 100% sure that you're invulnerable. It just it doesn't happen. It, there's, there's always vulnerability. The main thing is to make sure the devices and things that you're working on have the smallest attack vectors possible. And uh, that's really your best insurance. And all comes from just following good practices, good requirements, good design, okay? and using good... Off-the-shelf technologies and components, where you can, that are well supported by the industry and that are being tested and proven every day in use.
1: So, I think we're nearing the the end of the time you, you've promised me. So, I, I really appreciate, rightly, taking the time to uh, to come on and talk with me. Sure. Um, if it's all right, I will put your contact information in the blog post when we post this episode. Yeah, please. And, thank um, you. and uh, folks can you know get in touch with you if they want to if they want to pick your brain a little mm-hmm. bit more.
0: We're always happy to help. Uh, getting somebody off to start uh, the right way is is it benefits everyone. So, we're always happy to take a phone call. And help someone out
1: great hey well thanks very much Riley. thanks for having me that's our show for today if you liked it or if you didn't please visit archimedic.com and submit a contact us form to tell us why please also let us know if there's a topic or a guest you think we should cover in an upcoming episode medtech mindset is a production of archimedic and is produced in our philadelphia office our theme music is composed performed and personally curated by the polish ambassador Thanks again to Rightly for being our guest and to the PSI team. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on MedTech Mindset.